bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And today we have um, an exciting show. Uh, we, it's, uh, the title of the show is Roadmap to an Extraordinary Life, and that's because my guest, John St. Augustine, has just written a new book called Living an Uncommon Life. And indeed, his life is the first example <laughs> of uh, an uncommon life. And um, he, for the book, um, he has interviewed numerous people. Well, actually, before the book, he had interviewed numerous people on his radio show, as he's a radio talk show host as well, and currently a producer for Oprah and Friends Network. Um, and he uh, took examples, some of the best examples from the people who he interviewed, in terms of how they turned their life from an ordinary to an extraordinary life. So, John, welcome to the show. Well, Dr. Carroll, I've never been on a couch before, so I'm a little nervous. Well, yes, that, I do do that. <laughs> I know, that's true. I have my feet up, so that's a start. Okay, good. Because I'd like to start by putting you on the couch oh, boy. and and talking about um, starting with your childhood um, <laughs> and uh, and how you got from, from there, um, from a relatively common life, to, to here, because um, what I'm particularly interested in, in the, is in these epiphanies that you had along the way, because so many people, we all have possibilities for epiphanies. I mean, the same kind, not, not exactly the same, but certainly, um, oh, good things, bad things, turning points actually come to each of us mm-hmm. um, so often, and most of us miss it, or we, we kind of get a glimpse at it. We, you know, we sort of get a hint, well, hmm, this seems like it's an important moment, and I could do, handle it this way. I could go on this road or that road. And yet so many people just stay on the road that's familiar to them rather than uh, allowing the full force of the epiphany wash over them, mm-hmm. and um, and take that take the chance to allow that to change their life. So when you're um, as you're telling the story about how you loved your mother and father, <laughs> or not, <laughs> or not, yeah. Um, I, I'd like you to particularly sort of point out what it was in these moments that allowed you to take the uncommon path. You know, this morning uh, I was coming to here at the Harpo Studios, and I have a small apartment in Chicago. Uh, I live in Michigan, but I, I'm here in Chicago during the week, and I have a small apartment near literally two blocks from the grammar school that I attended. Hmm. And I don't think that that was a coincidence that that apartment was open because, to me, being grounded in who you are and where you come from is very, very important. And uh, so anyway, a lot of the times I will drive around the block to go in front of that school, and I think about what it was like when I graduated from there about a million years ago in 1973 and uh, and why my life has gone the direction it has and why or what has become of the lives of the people that I went to school with in high school and, and those kind of things and yeah. why 
my life seems to be in this different direction, so to speak. And I think it really comes down, if there was one word, it would be the word awareness, that it's come to my attention, because I'm pretty aware these days, that we are so, there's so many diversions in our lives, there's so many things that pull us away from our core, that we spend a majority of our times outside of ourselves, uh, either searching for things that we think will fulfill us, or uh, just trying to keep up with the keeping up uh, pace of life. Mm -hmm. And all of that tends to lull you into a, a, a coma of sorts. It's a, a working coma. You can function and pay the bills and eat dinner and watch TV and walk the dog and do it all again the next day. But there's another level behind that, and that is getting out of that coma. It's actually waking up and being very aware of the things that are coming to you and why they're coming to you and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it, all that stuff is important, and it, but it is not the events themselves that are that matter. It is, it is really the... Um, uh, you know, the response to those events and seeing them as an extraordinary thing, not an ordinary thing. You know, I don't see accidents anymore. I see incidents, and mm -hmm. there, there's a big difference there, but it takes time to be able to pull them apart a little bit. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, why don't you start, start with one of the, you know, what was the earliest the early on? incident? <laughs> well, you know, there's, been, there's little ones and there's, there's little incidences and there's bigger ones, and I, it wasn't until even not that long ago that I realized that, uh, I had all these scholarships to play football in college, and it, on the last play of my last game when I was in high school, uh, I hurt my knee really bad on this new stuff called AstroTurf that mm. they you know, should have banned a long time ago. But it, I realized 30 years later that had I not gotten hurt and not my life gone in this direction, yeah. I would have not sure the way things would have turned out. So it was this one little literally twist of fate that... Uh, took me out of the colleges that I was supposed to go to, I thought, and put me in a whole other direction. Yeah. And that, that to me is one of the first things. But then shortly after that, because of that, I had to work part-time at a small convenience store, and my college only was a, a half scholarship for football. Because, yes, because, because, because you didn't get a full scholarship, right, so you had to ride. work. Yeah, because yeah, my plan was full ride, you know, mm -hmm. full ride. And that didn't happen. So I'm working part-time. And on January 19, 1978, at 10.01 p.m., I'll never forget the date or the time, uh, I was working in this little building, smashing boxes with a big machine, and the machine malfunctioned and uh, basically electrocuted me. And I was 19 years old. Uh, my heart stopped. I was stuck up against the machine. Somehow I pulled myself off. Uh, the pharmacist that was on duty had, was a Vietnam veteran and knew what to do with severe burns and uh, was able to resuscitate me and give me CPR to get my... My heart started again, and it wasn't a very long time I was out, but it was it was a real curveball for me. And uh, everything lined up, even though the incident was very intense, everything else lined up to help me recover in a short amount of time. So it was very interesting to me. Uh-huh. Am I losing you? Hello? No, I'm here. Oh, okay. Yes. That was the end of a sentence. I had to take a okay. breath. <laughs> you know? All right. And there so, you, so, do you think you had, I mean, what, made, what that made me think of is, um, and not to get ahead of the story, but um, do you think uh, that you had during that incident a near-death experience? Did you see yourself you know, floating I didn't, above? I didn't, no, I didn't, you know what? I had this. I, you know, it's funny because ever since then, everything has been such a big near-life experience to me. After you almost you, you check out once, everything else becomes that much more technicolor for you. But I never had the tunnel floating thing. I had one thought in my head, you're dead. That's exactly what I thought. I thought, oh, this was nice being alive, and you're dead, and this doesn't hurt, and you just get electrocuted, and that's the end of it. 
And when I came to, so to speak, they figured I was on there between, you know, like 30 and 45 seconds stuck to this machine and not sure why I'm still here, but I didn't have any of those floating experiences. It was very calm, very peaceful. You're not going to be here anymore. Have a good day. Hmm. And uh, and then next thing I know, I was breathing again, and um, uh, I, I could hear things, and uh, everything lined up. And well, did yeah. you have the feeling, though, the part of the near-death experience where when you came back from that, um, as you were recovering, that you had this new motivation? It didn't mean, happen right away. Because I'm 19. You know, you know okay. everything, you are everything, you've been everywhere and done everything, and you right. like yourself better than anybody ever met. And that's how I felt. And so, on one hand, I literally, my right hand on one hand was really in bad shape, and, and I thought, well, that's no big deal. Hey, if they cut my hand off, who cares? Because hmm. I got another one. And that's, when you're 19, you tend to look at things that way. But it wasn't until a few weeks later when the burns were starting to heal, and uh, a nurse had me scrubbing my burns, and I didn't want to do it, and she said, John, the only way you heal is when you take ownership of the pain. And that really, for being 19 years old and going through what I just went through, really struck me. It was like, wow, how profound is that? The only way you heal is when you take ownership of the pain. And what she meant, of course, was that until I sat down and scrubbed those burns clean, they weren't going to get any better. Mm-hmm. And that little phrase has served me. I know you've read through some of the parts of the book and right. other areas of my life that have been very, very very challenging, and it always comes back to that same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then? Well, then you kind of move on, and you think things are going great, and then you get married, and you uh, you, you find your life settling down a little bit, and then you get hit by a drunk driver. <laughs> and uh, that was another one of those things at the time seemed to be insurmountable to me, that it, there was no way that this should be happening to me. Uh, I had a great job outside of the city uh, in a suburb of Chicago. I had just been married for uh, two weeks, and we were coming to a T intersection, a north and south intersection. All the traffic was stopped. It was a beautiful spring evening, and we were coming through the drive, the, the intersection, and we were hit 60 miles an hour with a Cadillac, literally, broadside. And uh, the world, my world exploded again, and the car collapsed around me, and the last cog, uh, conscious thought I had was uh, looking at my wife, uh, and our uh, wedding album spinning down the street thinking this isn't supposed to happen to me again mm-hmm. and then I blacked out and all I remember then is that I was I had a different experience uh, I could hear people talking and I was super sensitive what was going on but it was also very clear to me that I was not in the car I wasn't floating but I just felt like I was somehow removed from that mm-hmm. and I could hear the people talking I could hear see people crying I remember somebody touched my arm and said, I think he's going to make it, but you've got to get him out of there now. Hmm. He doesn't have a pulse. You've got to get moving. And while all the time inside of myself, I felt very calm, like, I don't know what you're all worried about. Hmm. And um, next thing I know, they, they were able to pry the top of the car off. They had uh, uncovered me from this big blanket they had on, and I got, walked out of the car. I was ready to walk home 20 miles. And I guess adrenaline was kicking in in a big way, and... Uh, it was a startling response for me to this. When I looked at the car, I couldn't believe I got out of it. Uh, and was your wife okay? She was fine. She, she, you know, I took the brunt of it. The car spun around, and the guy left the scene of the accident. They didn't find him for two days, and and that precipitated a, a, a real learning experience for ninety days. Um, because ninety days later, I went to court. The guy showed up. He got a slap on the wrist. Everything after that is a civil case. And uh, that night, something that would be really put me on your couch. I wish I'd have known you 20, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. I had severe anxiety attacks that were just 
overwhelming to me, and I did not know what was happening. I didn't know where they were coming from. Uh, at midnight that night, I woke up with this rage inside me. And, you know, I, I, I've learned, that I guess, that anxiety comes out in different ways in different people. And mine came out as rage and, and almost a uh, Hulk-like uh, experience that I would, you know, I was just enraged. I never hurt anybody. I didn't hurt myself. But I guess I scared the hell out of a lot of people, uh, so much so that my wife called the, the police, and the police took me uh, in, and they were convinced I was on something, which I wasn't, and it wasn't diagnosed. And I ended up in a, uh, oh, a place of observation, I guess you could call it downtown Chicago, for a few days, and they realized I wasn't, uh, you know, talking to the chair or anything, and that was a good thing. But it really had an assessment on my life, and I learned what kind of impact stress and um the challenges of life can have on the nervous system and how, in some ways, we're not equipped to respond to them because we weren't trained to do so. And it was a huge awakening for me, probably the biggest epiphany, as you called it earlier in my life, because uh, we slept on the floor for a year, my wife and I, with the lights on. We would pull the top uh, piece of the bedding off, the uh, mattress, and put it in the living room, and I had to watch Michael J. Fox in Back to the Future every night for a year just to fall asleep. Huh. It was, it was, I don't know why that movie, it just struck really? me. Really? The yeah. same movie? Ever. Over, it drove my wife nuts. And, you know, people still ask to this day, you know, you can't possibly still be married. I said, yeah, we are, 21 years. So, wow. <laughs> now, that's interesting. I actually didn't see that movie, or I don't remember seeing oh, it's it. Oh, that's great. You'll and love there it. must be some psychological reason. There is. If I, if I would have remembered, well, tell us after the break. I will. <laughs> if I would remember the movie, I could tell you there the you psychological go. reason. All right. Okay. We do need to take a break um, in this very interesting story of John St. Augustine. His book is called Living an Uncommon Life, and as you can tell, when we're just uh, starting out, (laughs) (laughs) his was, and and still is. (laughs) So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, VoiceAmerica.com. Join Patricia Raskin, host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call in to Positive Living Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Pacific Time right here on voiceamerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength. And the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game with Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure, what's up? Um, there's this girl I kind of like. Well, if there's one thing I know, it's women. Really? Well, they didn't call me velvet for nothing. I don't get it. Smooth. I was smooth. Oh. Anyway, it's easy. You just got to impress her. Show her how strong you are. Okay, but how? Just 
I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? I don't know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt, if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, Ugh! Try it. Ugh! Ugh! <laughs> See, there you go. And you should dress up. Start wearing a shirt and tie. I'll look like a dork. No, you'll look successful. Okay. And finally, you can start using my cologne. <clears throat> the ladies love it, so don't be shy. Splash it on. Thanks, Dad. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To find out how you can adopt, please visit our website at adoptuskids.org or call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt US Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking to you today about a roadmap, giving you a roadmap to an extraordinary life, talking with my guest, John St. Augustine, the author of the new book, Living an Uncommon Life. And we were um, <laughs> talking about his. And we were, in fact, talking about the psychological significance of Back to the Future for, mm-hmm. as to why that calmed you down every night during that time. Well, you know, it came to me later after about 200 viewings of this movie uh, that what that movie is all about is exactly what the title says, Going Back to the Future. And in the movie, as some of the folks listening I'm sure know, that uh, our hero, Michael J. Fox, actually goes back in time to fix the time, the future. Uh-huh. And so for me, after a while, it dawned on me that what was what I was going through, all these challenges that were facing me, I was really going back in some ways to make sure that the, as best I could, uh, that the future that I had ahead of me was different than my past. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting uh, how the movie played out and the things that I learned from it. I don't watch it anymore, by the way. It's been a long time, but I think I've seen enough. But that's really what it was all about. And, and in a nutshell, that's I think was the huge lesson of that auto incident. I, I have come to not want to go out to dinner with the guy that did it, but I did. I do realize it played an important role in my development. It was when I got electrocuted. It was the physical body that had to heal. When the anxiety attacks came, my job was to take ownership of the pain once again and see how strong mentally I could get. And so. They had me on prescription drugs for a while, and uh, that wasn't helping. And finally, I said to myself one day, I have to do this on my own. I have to be able to uh, to get strong enough on my own to do this. If not, it's not going to work. And I was able to get off those in record time. And, you know, the, the docs were like, you know, this isn't good. You should be on this for here's the protocol. And I said, you know, I, I can't do that. So to me, as Edgar Casey used to say, mind is the builder. And I, I think it's one of the, if not the most underused muscle we have, and in so many ways, the way to build an uncommon life is to exercise your mind muscle. And, uh, and, and the things that we would seem in our life that would be anxiety-ridden or uh, panic-stricken or maddening could possibly be disguised, opportunities disguised for us to, uh, to build our mental mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. And not then that I'm not telling you anything you don't know already. Well, <laughs> and then what, what was the next... Um... So you, the, you know, so more? it's interesting. So every, yes. So then, every time, basically, every time you saw Michael J. Fox um, be the hero and be able to fix yeah. the future, presumably, yeah. um, you were able to feel that you could fix yours. Well, all I know is that for some reason, that whatever reason that movie resonated with me, and as long as I watched it, the whole thing played out. 
we all have the opportunity. We may not be able to go really back to the future, but if we go back to the origins of where we are, where we started, and the challenges that we have, and you're able to see them with a new perspective, then you don't have to follow the same old patterns, and then you effectively can change your future. As they say, the best way to, uh, to predict the future is to help create it. Right. And so that's really, uh, instead of being a victim to the winds of change, be a participant in the winds of change. Mm-hmm. You can't do both. You've got to pick one or the other. Okay, and so then what happened? <laughs> you want me to keep going? Yes. Okay, yes. good. Well, so so I recover from that, and things are going along, and uh, a few years later we now have two children, and uh, my daughter Amanda and my, my son Andy, and uh, we think things are going great, and it's leveling out. And uh, when my daughter was born, she uh, had a kidney defect, and uh, when she was five they had to remove her right kidney. And we were told at that time that uh, she needed a transplant within a year, and and to get ready for that. And, of course, you know, I'm thinking this has got to stop because this is getting ridiculous. It seems like every, you know, four to six years something's going on and what's the deal? Mm-hmm. And all I know is I was able to go back and, and call on what had helped me, ownership of the pain and getting mentally strong to help her. Now, she's only five. And so I would talk to her every day. And I'd say, Amanda, what are we going to be today? And she'd say, positive and my kidney's getting better. Aww. And I would ask her that a 100 times a day, every day, seven days a week. And then it went from better to perfect, to excellent, to great, to perfect, and on and on. And so eight years rolled by before she ever needed a transplant. Hmm. And so I'm convinced, once again, that we have this mind-body thing going on. It's very, very important. And uh, in the midst of all this, though, I was uh, in the middle of a business deal that I thought was the one with some uh, professional athletes who are uh, close friends of mine. And at the same time I was in the middle of this deal, I was asked to give a commencement address at a small high school in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. And now, what kind of work were you doing? Well, I was I was I was teaching, but I was also at a sports marketing company. Uh-huh. And so again, I kind of had the best of both worlds. I was able to teach where I went to high school, and that was very rewarding. And I was also working with pro athletes, people like Walter Payton, who uh, played for the Bears at the time in the in the seventies and eighties, and 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 do a little bit of both. And so this opportunity came to to work with these guys at a greater level, and at the same time came this talk. And so I went up to Michigan's Upper Peninsula, which is a place I'd literally have never heard of before. I'd never been further north than Milwaukee, Wisconsin, practically. And uh, I went up for this talk, and there were 27 graduates, but the whole town came to watch 27 kids graduate. I couldn't believe it. Where I come from, there's 27 parents show up for 500 kids sometimes. So this was a huge role reversal for me. And at the end of the talk, I realized that I had kind of felt like I came home, so to speak, that there was a a grounding effect of the way these people lived. And I felt I had reached a fork in the road. Every sign in my life said, do not do this business deal. You're going to get whacked. And my partners didn't want to hear it, but I knew it. And because I made that decision without any other anything underfoot besides this teaching job, which was actually part-time, uh, I said I can't do the deal, and I pulled out, lost everything I put into it. And within two to three months, uh, literally everything I had built up was gone. When you're up, you're up, and when you're not, you're not. And so, interesting to me, the people who owned the motel in Michigan's Upper Peninsula, whose son was in the graduating class, who asked me to speak there, kept started to call me, and they said, well, maybe you should come here and live. And I thought, what in the world would I do there? And within 90 days, I went from being Mr. Successful in Chicago to living in a motel room that I had stayed in previous as a speaker at this high school with my wife and two kids. We lost our house. Uh, everything else we put in storage, we moved up there, and I didn't know what to do. And here we were sitting. I was at the age of 37 in two rooms in, uh, in the, on the U.S. Highway 2 
mm-hmm. you know, five hours away from Chicago. Not fun. Yes, and that's that can be somewhat of a wilderness. Yes, it can. And, you know, I thought, look, I'm 37. i got a college degree. I've worked my can off. Do you know who I play golf with? How did I end up here? And <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> that's right. That's what I'm telling the universe. You know, come on, let's, let's go to the program here. But it was, it was really the, 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 all, all the other things in my life leading up to that. And I had this opportunity of a lifetime, truly, that I think all of us have but oftentimes don't call on. And that's to go within so we don't have to go without. And what I mean by that is the, uh, uh, the, the everything lined up to put me in the right place with the right people right. to be able to find out who I really am past all the, the stuff that had happened to me. And uh, that's where I began the walk, physical walk, from uh, Upper Michigan to Chicago and back of uh, 10 years ago in 1996. And so I walked and walked and well, walked. Now, what was to, but wait, I didn't quite, what was the, um, I mean, how did that, idea come to you well what made you feel really that that you should do that well you know what i you know after you get hit with the two by four a few times you kind of tend to wake up a little quicker and through the most difficult time when all these changes were going on in chicago i literally had this recurring dream i'd see myself on the side of the road with a backpack on in the setting sun walking it was like a snapshot that's all i would see and this was like every other day it was getting ridiculous and i remember when things are really difficult i told my wife i said i think i'm supposed to to walk and she said, when are you leaving? You know, <laughs> things were a little difficult. But when we got to, up to Michigan, I had the dream again first night we moved in, and the people that own the motel are Native American folks, and I, I, I spent time with them, and we talked, and they said, you know, maybe it's time for you to find out who you really are. And it, when they said that, I knew I had to physically walk, and I mm-hmm. walked back to Chicago where I had just left with two other guys, and then I walked from Chicago back north to mm-hmm. Michigan. It took about eight weeks round trip. And it was I was shedding my old skin, and I was able to let go of every every chain that ever held me back, and and uh, and find out who I am. And it was on that walk that I had the thought about being on the radio, and it was an amazing thing. And well, it had, did you have before you went on the walk? Did you have a job in the UP? No, no job. So no job. No nothing. Everything we owned was in storage. My wife found a job. We put our kids who were at the time seven and five. We put them in school, and. Uh, there we were. Okay, so then you you got this um, this what this vision. vision or yeah to be on the radio orders from headquarters I like to call it. <laughs> okay, and you got back home and I got back home a, a, a day before or two days before Thanksgiving in 1996 and the book it's the, the walk itself is its own book but the big epiphany came uh, one day that I realized that if it's you know whatever's going to be uh, is up to me you know that 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 that's just the way it comes down to it's relying on the things that we all have but often forget and uh, I finished the walk I had this thought about radio six months went by before I was able to make phone calls to radio stations around upper the upper midwest everybody said no who's going to listen to you and they didn't know I was living in a motel you know mm-hmm. uh, with my back against the wall and finally a radio station in Escanaba Michigan a CBS affiliate said uh, tell me about your show I said I wanted to do a show that empowered, informed, and entertained people without being over the top or being all politics and could address things that a 37-year-old who's going through difficulties can address. And they gave me an hour a week for five weeks. The first four shows were horrible because <laughs> I had never done it. I had no prior radio experience, but the fifth one had my old friend Stebbin Graham on, who uh, just also happens to be Oprah's steady. And uh, the, sh- the, the phone lines lit up and everything went great. And uh, here we are. You know, I did, ended up doing 8,000 shows 
with over 5,000 guests, nationally syndicated. It was on TV, and it was an amazing, amazing thing. And you've won awards for that. You're a being, couple. Uh, <laughs> you're being <laughs> humble, uh, but you've won some broadcasting awards for that. Well, you do what you can where you are with what you have. Well, that's what I what I meant before, and you can think about it over the break when I said about the near death experience where. People come back and say that they've been inspired to do good for others, and I wonder if that's where the vision for the radio show came. Quite you know, possibly. Years Quite later. Possibly. I'll agree with of, you on that. It was sort of germinating. Yeah. <laughs> well, we uh, do need to take a break. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is John St. Augustine. His new book is Living an Uncommon Life, and I guess that needs no further explanation. <laughs> And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The Internet's premier talk radio station, voiceamerica.com. Ever wonder what are the favorite travel destinations of the Hollywood Jet Set? Where do celebrities like to go when they aren't walking the red carpet? Tune in to Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with President of Traveris, David Manning, and Lisa O'Hurley, golf aficionado and wife of actor John O'Hurley. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa talk with well-known actors, sports celebrities, and entertainment insiders to find out about their favorite travel destinations and what they recommend. On Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, David and Lisa also offer up feature vacations each week and last-minute deals for your next getaway. Find out what's new and exciting in the travel industry, as well as how to raise money for your nonprofit organizations while enjoying a wonderful vacation. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk with David Manning and Lisa O'Hurley broadcasts each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Traveris Celebrity Travel Talk, your inside look into celebrities and travel. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. At least 90% of sports success requires mental strength. And the greater the competitive level, the more critical it becomes to build that mental muscle. Tune into Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time. Your host, Jim Meyer, sports psychology coach, consultant, and author, offers practical, powerful, and positive mental game, tools, tips, and techniques. Learn how to remain confident and focused at crunch time when pressure, tension, and anxiety like to make an uninvited appearance. Tune in and tune up your mental game for Championship Thinking every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time right here on America's Voice, Voice America. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show... Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're traveling on a roadmap to an extraordinary life. We've heard about John St. Augustine's 
life his uh, and his book living an uncommon life um which for which he is the uh, first life as an example <laughs> and um he has taken um found kindred spirits so to speak mm-hmm. um in the guests who he has interviewed including Oprah Winfrey and John Denver and Walt- Walter Payton and Wayne Dyer and on and on 5000 guests but he's chosen some of them because they all have uh, had a similar uh, kind, similar kinds of epiphanies, similar kinds of struggles uh, to overcome negative life circumstances. I know, for example, Oprah was abused as a child. I mean, she had. It, she's one of the most amazing oh. stories. But we we yeah. we can start wherever you want. But um, I just I actually read a biography of her, and most people in those circumstances. Um, <laughs> You know, would have a hard time functioning in a normal yeah. life, no less becoming, uh, you know, the uh, the top TV star no extraordinaire question. that she is. Well, you know, we can start with Oprah. You know, it's it's interesting thing to me. There, there are some of the people in the book. There's 21 of them in there, and there could easily have been, you know, 2100 because I've spent so much time with some amazing people. But some of the stories in there really have nothing. To, I mean, they're part of the radio thing, but they're also. Uh, events that happened to me that involved these folks, and Oprah was a perfect example. In that car accident back in 1986... It was her, don't tell me it was her fault. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no now, that would be an epiphany. You get epiphany. run over by Oprah. <laughs> no, but it was, it, was, it was close as you can get in 1986 right after, because of that auto accident that I mentioned. Uh-huh. We had to change our honeymoon plans, and because we changed our honeymoon plans, we ended up on a different cruise, and we ended up on a ship called the Song of America out of Miami, and Oprah was on the sh- on the ship, and this was in '86, just when she was starting out to be nationally syndicated. She wasn't, of course, not the, you know, really the uh, the living legend that she right. is now. Uh, but I recognized her on the ship because I lived in Chicago, and somebody else did, and uh, they wanted to take a picture with her. And I was trying to move out of the way. And you remember those Walkman clip-on belt things? Uh, yeah. It was the, the woman was putting her arm around Oprah, and it knocked off the, the Walkman off the, Oprah's belt, and I turned to grab it, and she turned to grab it and poked me in the eye. And that was my introduction. And so, of course, I flipped around the deck like a fish, you know, feigning that my eye was falling out. And, you know, for the length of that trip, we were friends. We would, you know, we'd see each other on, on board, and we'd talk, and this and that. And and, uh, and I thought that was it. It was pretty cool, and that was the end of that. And then in 92, a few years later, um, 92, 93, I was asked to play in a, in a celebrity golf tournament outside of Chicago, by a fellow named Matt Blair, who used to play for the Minnesota Vikings, and the long and short of it was, it was a fundraiser for the Athletes Against Drugs uh, organization, which Stedman Graham is the founder of, mm-hmm. and it never dawned on me, because I just wanted to go play golf and have dinner, that she would be there, so mm-hmm. I went to this thing and uh, ended up, in the strangest of circumstances, sitting in the room by myself that's set for a thousand people, and Oprah walks in and says, is this seat taken? And I'm thinking, there's 999 open chairs here. And she sat down, and she and I sat and had dinner together with a couple other folks. So at a table for 10, set for 10, four of us sat for five hours. Huh. And she grilled me like nobody's business about who I was. And, and she vaguely remembered me from the cruise seven years earlier, six years earlier. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do with your life? And are you using your voice? And you have such a great, you know, and, and she was just all over it. And I thought, what in the world is this all about? So that was, you know, 14 years ago. And... uh Two years ago, I had met with, I, of course, was on the radio, as I mentioned, and two years ago, I met with the Harpo folks about creating a network for Oprah on satellite, and sure enough, here I am, 
two years later as a producer. Well, wait, wait, wait. Met, met with these people about, I mean, was that because you kept in touch after that? No, no, no. It was very, it was much different than that. You know, I had been doing all these shows that have this real positive, uh, intentful bend on it, and mm-hmm. I had been doing it myself. And I thought, can you imagine a network of shows like this, not yes. just three hours? Yes. And, uh, you know, with all these different voices coming in, and I had worked with people, and I knew who could do it and who I thought would pull it off. And so I called uh, a friend of mine, Ginny Weissman in Chicago, and uh, she got a hold of a, a woman named Karen Dillon in Chicago, and they both knew Tim Bennett, who's the president of Harpo, by chance, and the three of us, plus a friend of mine uh, named Abe Thompson, who's a friend of Oprah's and a longtime radio guy, the four of us met in August of 2004 about the idea for a, uh, a radio show for Oprah and uh, and to set something up. And sure enough, here it is. Huh? Amazing, well, that, huh? Yes, yes. Yeah. And I, I hope that people are sort of um, paying attention to, you know, I mean, you know, some people would dismiss this as just coincidences, no. accidents, and all of that. Yeah. But well, here's uh, the difference, Carol. You asked me earlier what makes it, what doesn't. Right. If you dismiss it as coincidences, you don't get to live them. Yes. If you don't dismiss the coincidences, you live an extraordinary life. Yes, that's exactly it. And it does take courage sure. to not dismiss them. But I think it takes as much courage to, to grab onto one as it does to sit back. I, I'm in the mindset, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid to pay the price, that they don't want to go out to the edge. I'm thinking, hey, if you don't pay the price, you end up paying the price of not paying the price, that you can live a small, inconsequential existence when the odds of being born are so astronomical and the odds of dying are for sure. Well, yes, that, that's true. But, you know, psychologically, people want to do what's familiar. They're afraid to step out of their comfort zone. And by dismissing things as coincidences, you know, you can, yeah, you can, you can rationalize right. Right, why well, it's okay to just stay in your comfort zone. Well, Whereas you, yeah. if you dare to think that they might actually be um, the universe handing you a gift, yep then uh, that means you need to change some things in your life and take a lot of risks. Well, that's, you know, and, and again, it, risk is, is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and, I, and you would never figure this person with the stature they have would be fearful of anything. And he said, I don't think I could have ever lived in a motel for a year. I would have gone nuts. I'm like, well, uh, you know, I do tend to push things, but compared to some people, this, what I've done is nothing. So I think, it, I think it all comes to you at the level that you're conscious that it comes to you. And it, I don't think that you're asked, to do anything that you're not capable of doing by the universe. And I think uh, if you don't act on those things, then you just sit back and do woulda, coulda, and shoulda, and that's not a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. Well, why don't we talk about, um, was there um, something more that you wanted to say about her? Well, I just think that, you know, she's a perfect example, as you mentioned, of that it's not what happens to you, it's what you do about it that counts. She comes from nothing, and she has become everything. And if it's possible for one human, then it's possible for all of us. And I know, because I see Miss Winfrey on a weekly basis, and I, you know, we all watch her on television, that what she's trying to say is, don't, don't follow me, become a leader yourself. And while she has amassed great uh, fame and fortune, uh, the bottom line is, is that she did it by being her true self. What a concept. And to me, I find that one of her greatest lessons. Yes. And really, that whole chapter about Oprah is called Follow the Yellow Brick Road, that if you have the guts and the audacity to step on the yellow brick road, the munchkins will help you. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's going to be some witches. Some of us turn into the Tin Man, where all of us are Dorothy. We get to hang out with Toto. But in the end, the Wizard of Oz, or the Great Wizard, is the one orchestrating everything. And if you can allow for that to be, you'd be amazed to see where you end up. Pretty cool stuff. Yes, absolutely. That really is, uh, especially 
today um, where children are not able to be children mm. as much as yeah. as in the 50s, let's say. Yep. Um, you know, more people, more children are having horrible things happen to them in yes. their childhood, being abused, um, having even just living with one parent or... Yes. Um, having a parent who's a substance abuser or, you know, just all a parent who has sure. an illness, a chronic illness that then um, causes them to not be able to take care of the child yes. as well as they would like to and all kinds of things uh, seem to be getting worse the fact that so many families are one-parent families yes. now and, and um, children are feeling rather lost. I mean, so there's, so, there's a much greater opportunity now for children, for more children to feel as though... Um, they're sort of on the wrong path in mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And so it's so important for people to realize that um, you're really only on the path, you know, the yellow brick road, the only on the path that you um, want to take the chance and believe in, dare to believe in yourself, yep. dare to dream um, that you want to do, that you take the risk to do, that find the courage to do. Well, you know, if you, if you watch the news, you'd be afraid to come out of the house in the morning. Well, that's right. You know, so, I mean, you, you know, but if you let those outside circumstances really life, I, I was reading somewhere that the, the odds, that, you know, people talk about getting struck by lightning. The odds of getting struck by lightning, like one in 880,000 or something, and some astronomical amount, and, and I think right up there with uh, dating a supermodel, you know, they're like the same thing. <laughs> and And what I find fascinating is that, that if you're really lucky and you live to the average age of 77.6 years, that's just like over 28,000 days on the planet you get. That's if you're lucky and everything lines up, and yet we go creeping and crawling through life worried about how we're going to die yes. and forget how to live. Yes. And, uh, yes, absolutely. So to me, I mean, that's, you asked me about the, you know, the, how the book's doing and, 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 and why people are grabbing onto it is because the lessons in there are very simple. You know, I mean, they're just, there's no magic. There's no secret to it. The things that have worked now have always worked. They'll always work. And whether it's you know going up or down, uh, you know that's how it goes. It, it's the law. It's just like the law of gravity. If you apply it and you stay with it and work with it, it works. Well, you know, it's um, part of the problem is that because the world is getting scarier, scarier. Um, there is more of a tendency for people to sort of withdraw under their covers and uh, not only from the scary things in the world but from uh, the scariness in themselves, the fact that they they feel uh, powerless, yeah. they feel more helpless. Maybe when we come back we can help them remember the power. That sounds like a good idea. That's uh, a deal. <laughs> okay, well, we do need to take another break. My guest, John St. Augustine is uh, helping us to find a roadmap to an extraordinary life, and he is the author of the new book, Living an Uncommon Life. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. and Stay tuned. The Authority and Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Live in the Green Life with Kim Carlson, echopreneur, author, and green living maven, brings you an upbeat, fun exploration of the doables of living a more earth-friendly life. 
Kim cuts through the noise and urban myth of green do's and don'ts and shows that it is possible to live green easily. From hip organic weddings to exotic echo travel to healthy personal care products. Get the most current trends and tips from the experts for living a more planet-friendly and human lifestyle. Live in the green life with Kim Carlson. Broadcast each Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Live in the green life for a human, healthy, and planet-friendly lifestyle. Albert Einstein once said, Nothing happens until something moves. Will your movement towards realizing a dream, making a long-lasting change to your life, or simply putting a daily smile on your face is just a click away. Tune into Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney and free your mind, open your heart, and ignite action in your life. Host and commander in change, empowerment coach, and international speaker, Scott Chesney shares his insights to making the most out of your daily lives. Scott interviews people who are maximizing their lives, the most recognizable transformationalists and leaders around the world, as well as those hometown heroes that move, touch, and inspire the best in all of us. Stay tuned into Maximizing Life for Scott's one-on-one coaching with callers. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, broadcast each Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Maximizing Life with Scott Chesney, inspiring you to live life with passion, purpose, and limitless potential. Wine and Women is not your boring wine geek show. It is rather a fresh, fast-paced approach featuring interesting stories and entertaining segments about wine and wine-related topics through a warm and chatty format that will appeal especially to women, men optional. Hosted by wine connoisseurs and luxury lifestyle experts Julie Brosterman, Lisa Kring, Sharon Borston, and Jeanette Oku, Wine and Women takes listeners to Napa, Sonoma, and other wine regions worldwide to meet the best as well as the newest wine makers, to restaurants to meet top chefs and sommeliers, to wine-themed spas, wine country getaways, even into supermarket wine aisles where women and wine angels swoops down and helps shoppers to get their wine picks and more. Women in Wine broadcasts each Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America channel. Women in Wine, enjoying life one sip at a time. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is John St. Augustine. His new book is Living an Uncommon Life. And we were talking about some of the um, examples of people who, who who also had to struggle to turn their life uh, <laughs> into, uh, from, from le- make lemonade out of lemons yeah. and, and um, certainly make uh, super spectacular lemonade. <laughs> we always like to think of that metaphor, if you th- throw a frog in the blender, only one of two things are going to happen. Yes. <laughs> I prefer the latter, you know, to get out of there. You mean that he, that he would <laughs> Well, if you don't dance in the blender, you're a frog, you're done. You're frappe. Frog frappe. Frog frappe, exactly. right. Exactly. <laughs> well, why don't you give us an example of someone else who, well, you, know, uh, who some, you profile in the, the book? The folks who are in the book, like I said, some of them were just purely off the radio shows that I've done, uh, and some were just profound experiences for me over a lifetime. Uh, Cheryl Richardson is a, is, a, is a longtime friend and guest of the show, and, uh, really, she has lived her life with such responsibility. You know, Cheryl, what Cheryl exemplifies is the word responsibility or the ability to respond. And 
as you know, you know, the, the thing to me is that when you can, when you find something that works and you stick with it, and you stay with it, it'll always work for you. You know, a hammer always will drive a nail in and it'll always pull it out, but it's really hard to do it with a saw. So sometimes we're using the wrong tools, and, and responsibility is a huge tool that you, when you do that take total responsibility thing for your life and you realize that you're the common denominator and that it begins and ends with you, I mean, that's as good as it gets. And so the folks that are in this book, Cheryl included, they didn't invent these things, but they live them at such a level that they exemplify them and they become a model for those type of things. Yeah. So Cheryl's in the book, and my good friend Wayne Dyer, who is really all about truth, I've watched him, as I think a lot of people have, really evolve over the years from someone who was more uh, psychologically based to a much more spiritual base for him. And so he shows us in so many ways how evolution is important. You know, in life you can either be revolving or evolving, but you can't do both. And so Wayne reminds me of, of living the inner truth and how far that can take but, but you. But what are some of the things, like for Cheryl, to go back to her, mm-hmm. for example, what are the things that these people overcame? We talked about... Well, Cheryl, for sure. I mean, here's a person who, uh, in many, many ways, it was admitted was just a normal human being. She was a CPA. She was living her life. Nothing big was happening. She tended to like to go out on Saturday nights and hang out and do what people do on Saturday nights and, and imbibe a little bit here and there and... Uh, it got her into trouble, and, and she ended up going to some AA meetings and things like that and realized at one point there was this epiphany like, this is it, and that, again, the circumstances in her life, she was f- focused outward. You would never know by you know going to a bookstore or watching her on the Oprah show or one of her PBS specials that uh, you don't go around blaming other people for your life. You know She was that at one point, and she turned it inward as opposed to outward, and that is available to all of us. That's the big kicker in this, Carol. All these 21 extraordinary people, the only reason they're extraordinary is because they admitted at first they were ordinary, Mm -hmm. like all of us are. And Wayne bounced around from foster home to foster home, a raging alcoholic of a father. You know, I mean, it's just a tough growing up. Look at him now. So to me, again, it's not the circumstances. It's how you view them. It's not the outside things. It's how you handle them before they handle you. And all of it, to me, it's a, it's a it's a setup. Is that life is set up to bring the best within us out, and oftentimes it doesn't happen until the worst is presented. Mm-hmm. And 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 really, the, the some of the other folks in the book, Walter Payton, who died at the age of forty five from liver cancer, you know, uh, taught me all about moments and that you have to grab them because it's not promised that you'll get another one. And and my good friend John Denver, who used his voice around the world, and whether you agreed or disagreed with his songs or his stance, proved that the human voice. As Wadsworth Longfellow says, is the organ of the soul, and that it can make or break your life. Words can be swords or saviors, as we've just seen with this thing with uh, Michael Richardson, the the, mm-hmm. the comedian. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me isn't true. Mm-hmm. So we have a long way to go, I think. And what, what did John Denver overcome? Well, you know, here was a guy who had really low self-esteem. He admitted that he had a drinking problem. You know, he had two DUIs later in his life. And he, here's the best way I think it was put, Tom Crum, his great friend, said that John struggled with being a human but was a great being. And that, to me, was the key. All of us on the human side, which is the frailties of life and our ego and the things that get us in trouble, we all struggle with that part. But if you can take the human being and flip-flop it to being human and put the greater part, that's the part John sang from. That's the five-octave voice that he used. Mm -hmm. That's the gift that he brought to the world and, and you know, went about his, his life in trying to eradicate hunger and preserve the environment. That's where that came from. So to flip-flop it to the being, to the human, 
is really a key, and we all have that. So the, 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 the book is filled with with interactions I've had with people like John over the years and people I've had on my show like Cheryl and, and Wayne over the years. And it really the last chapter talks about three very special people, uh, Chelsea Hewitt, Tim Wachko, and Jerry Collins. And Chelsea and Tim were 16 and 17 when they were killed by a logging truck in Upper Michigan on a snowy February night. And it devastated, of course, their families and their friends. And uh, six months later, Jerry Collins, who was the coach for Tim, was also killed in an auto accident. And the thing that came out of that were three very important lessons to me that these young people lived. Chelsea treated everybody else the way she wanted to be treated. Gee, we've never heard that before. Mm-hmm. Timmy Wachko, who was a, a great friend of my son at the time, uh, and you know his legacy lives on, said, in life, do things 100% or don't do them at all. He was 17. And Jerry Collins, who was just 25 when he died, a week before he was killed in an auto accident, said to a friend of his over beer and pizza, if I died tomorrow, I could die happy because I know what I'm doing makes other people happy. Hmm. So I leave people with those three things today, that if you can treat others the way you like to be treated, do things in your life 100% or don't waste time with them, and know that you're living your life at such a level and such service that if you don't make it tomorrow, we knew you were here today. How many people can say that? Not many. That's why living an extraordinary life is of the utmost importance. Yes, and I think also that maybe you should clarify um, that you're not really talking about, I mean, you're not saying in terms of an extraordinary life that everyone um, is going to be able to mm-hmm. turn their life and become famous. It's not fame the same thing as being famous. It. It's not, extraordinary Look, is not fame. No, no, no. As you know, there are people in the book no one's ever heard of, but these three people never made it 16, right. 17. They're not famous. Right. These these are the people across the board that exemplified what these things are about and what these lessons are. And we're surrounded by these by people that are doing great things. It could be your parents that are doing great things. Somebody's working two jobs, a single mom, whatever it takes. There's examples of greatness and what we can and what we're possible uh, to create in our lives all around us, but we're too focused on what isn't working and what's hanging around outside the door to scare us and how the debt's going up and all the things that unfortunately are out of our control. You know, if you take a hula hoop, and you put it over your head, drop it at your feet, and if all you did today was take care of the things inside that hoop, you did a good job. The rest of it will take care of itself, or it won't. Well, and also what you're, what you're saying is, and I just want to sort of drive this point home and, and you know, tell me if I'm misstating you. I can't tell you, I'm on your you. couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, tell me if I'm misstating you. Yeah. Um, that what what makes a person extraordinary besides being famous, I mean, too often today people do um, oh. equate Yes. You know, we talk about Oprah, whose show I've been on a, a number sure. of times and who, you know, I love, especially how she's turned so positive over the years. Yes. Um, but we, it's, we can't all be Oprah, and we can't right. all be John Denver, and we right. can't... But you know but what? But you we can be extraordinary in the sense yes, that we can, he- we can create um, a lot of love surrounding yes. us. We can help other people. We can work to save the environment or do whatever... Uh, we need to do to for the causes that we believe in yeah. that, and nobody, maybe nobody will know our name outside of the people who we interact with. Yeah, but that's still an extraordinary life. Look, Carol, I know from the interaction that I've had with these people that they're the same people on stage and on, uh, on TV as they are off. That's the key. It's not like you put something on and you become this other person. These people would have done this and lived these lives anyway, whether no one ever turned a camera on or gave them a guitar or gave them a book to write, they just live this way 24-7. And that's the key. It isn't about the outer things again. These are just the things that show up in your life. Look, I'm on the air every day. My, these Power Thought vignettes that I do run on the Open Friends channel, I get email from people, and, and they, they say they hear 
their lives in the little vignettes that I put out, or they send me emails about this book. And really, the book is nothing more than a big mirror. It isn't about John Denver. It's not about Cheryl Richardson. It's not even about those three kids. It's about who we are in relation to the possibilities that these people have shown us are capable, we're capable of living this way. It is not about what happens on the outside. It's about how you change on the inside so you know when you take your last breath that you use life up. Yes, absolutely. And um, people can find this book, Living an Uncommon Life, at bookstores everywhere and Amazon. And mm-hmm. if you would like to email John, um, you can go to his website. You can also get the book, presumably, from his website. Mm-hmm. And that is, the website is John. StAugustine.com, and that's J-O-H-N-S-T-A-U-G-U-S-T-I-N-E.com. And um, again, John, I <laughs> thank you very much for joining me today. My great and, pleasure. Thank um, you. And I, I really would encourage people to buy the book again. What you said at the end is so, it's not about, you know, no one is, it, you shouldn't want to turn into any of these people, oh. even if they are famous. But it's about holding up this mirror and, and getting more uh, ideas and visions. You get it, mirror visions? Yep, yep, got it. <laughs> I say go back to the future. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> as, to, um, as to how you can become extraordinary in your own life for the people around you and, yes. and, um, and for yourself, most yes. of all. So again, uh, the book is Living an Uncommon Life, and you know where to get it. Thanks, so John, Cheryl. thank you very much, and I wish you all the best with this. Same to you. Most and welcome. Thank you, and spreading all your positive messages because uh, that's what we need. That's what needs to catch. And that's why you do what you do. And, yeah, and I try. You're doing more than trying. <laughs> and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, on VoiceAmerica.com. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.